And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning. Welcome to the second best day of the week. That's right, it's Thursday. Uh, getting ready to wrap up the week already. I think, I don't know where this month has gone to, but the year in general is just incredibly just fast. Which may be a blessing in disguise. It, it could be. You know, I thought getting 2020 over would, would be a good thing, right? <laughs> and, and now I'm just like, can we get 2021 over with? 2021 <laughs> says, hold my beer. <laughs> exactly. So, anyway, we are getting ready to wrap up the year, of course. Uh, as we got through the Fed meeting yesterday, we now have options expiration to look forward to on Friday. But good news and, and uh, kind of interesting news from yesterday of course and we'll spend a lot more time this morning with michael leibowitz talking more about the fed meeting yesterday what the fed said of course you know it was widely what was expected that they would begin to increase the rate of taper in their balance sheet and that they're going to raise interest rates uh, starting sooner so that really didn't shock the markets. Now, over the course of Monday and Tuesday this week, we had a good bit of selling pressure in the markets, came down to the 50-day moving average and bounced off of that. And, and yesterday, of course, after the Fed meeting, we actually kind of retested right, right around that 50-day moving average again yesterday. Um, after the Fed made their announcements, markets surged back up and we're actually closing right at all-time highs yesterday so this morning with futures pointing higher dow's up about 330 right now on futures nasdaq's up about 128 so we're we're going to see the markets break out to all-time highs today and that really kind of sets us up now for this santa claus rally this uh this kind of breakout in the markets there's a lot of cash on the sidelines let's kind of rewind the tape here for a minute and talk about some things we've been saying over the last few weeks. We talked about going into December, the first two weeks of December, we have these mutual fund distributions. And so while the media was giving you all kinds of, you know, excuses about, you know, the sell-off in the markets in the first, uh, you know, first week of December, the little rally we had, the sell-off that we had over Monday and Tuesday of this week, lots of excuses. Well, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing that's causing a sell-off. No, it was just really the fact that we had mutual funds distributing a lot of their capital gains for the year. Of course, they had to sell stocks to raise the cash to do that. That's what led to that pressure. So again, that's now getting behind us. So that now sets us up for the Santa Claus rally, that, that rally for the last two weeks of the year. Now, the reason that occurs is, is because when mutual funds rebalance their portfolios and sell down in order to raise cash to make those distributions, they now have a lot of cash sitting on their books. They've got to get back into the market. So now they've got to come back in and buy all those stocks that they want to have on their books when they report their holdings at the end of the year. So if you've got a mutual fund that didn't own some of the hot stocks this year or whatever, they're going to come in and buy those stocks here right at the end of the year so that when their annual reports go out, that's what shows the book. Oh, look, my mutual fund, they own Apple, Microsoft, whatever. They may not have owned it all year, but they own it in the last two weeks of the year. So um, expect to see a lot of that. And again, that's what's going to lead to this potential push here. Now, that does set the markets up here to rally to about 4,800 on the S&P. So again, there's about 100 points of upside uh, in the S&P here between now and the end of the year. But that doesn't mean we have to have to do that, right? So 
there's still some pressure here on markets. Uh, near term, we do have our buy signal in place. And again, we've talked about that recently. The buy signal has been under a lot of pressure since the first, uh, really kind of about mid-November. That's when we talked about raising some capital. Um, now, we're back on that buy signal, but it's very weak. Um, and more importantly, this rally that we had yesterday was pretty much just a short covering rally. A lot of traders had gone into the meeting, short stocks had taken on short positions, expecting maybe a surprise announcement from the Fed. Um, that didn't happen. So when that, that surprise announcement didn't occur, they had to cover those shorts. That's what led to that rally yesterday, but it occurred on much weaker volume. So, you know, while we keep seeing these rallies in the markets that really seem a bit outsized, right? That was a pretty strong gain, one and a half percent gain yesterday and uh, really kind of coming off a 1% sell-off. We were down pretty much uh, going into the Fed meeting. So that rally from the lows yesterday was actually closer to a 2% rally. That's a big rally for the market, really kind of any day of the week, but really occurred on much lighter volume. So again, not a lot of commitment to these rallies, not a lot of buyers doing this. There's just a lack of sellers. So what few people are buying stocks, that's really starting to drive these prices up. And this is why you're picking up more volatility in the markets here recently, but we're back to very, very overbought conditions on a short-term basis. So, you know, a lot of that fuel for the rally in the near term was kind of eaten up yesterday. We'll be eating up some more today. Doesn't mean that we can't stay overbought for a little while longer. We certainly can. But again, what that probably suggests is that upside is somewhat limited here. So again, we may make, um, you know, a new high today might see some more choppy action over the next couple of days. We still have to go through options expiration on Friday. That could still put a little bit of volatility and pressure on stocks. Um, and then we got uh, Christmas holidays and trading is going to get very, very light going into the end of the year because everybody will be gone. And that's going to potentially lead to a little bit of volatility. Again, upside here likely. So again, you don't want to be too cautious on markets, but also there's probably not a lot of upside now. The one thing we'll talk about with Mike when we come back from the break is the reason the market rallied yesterday was because the, the Federal Reserve didn't surprise anybody. They, they pretty much graphing pretty steadily here over the last few weeks about hiking rates uh, sooner than expected, right? Moving that rate hike date. We've been talking about this on the show. Was June kind of moving that up to March, speeding up the speed of taper, that's what they said yesterday. So there was no surprises in the Fed meeting yesterday. That's why the market rallied. The problem is, is that once we get into next year, the Fed's going to actually start taking these actions. And that's going to be an undermining of what's been supporting the markets, right? Tighter interest rate policy. That's going to lead to higher rates on credit card spending, those type of things. Inflationary pressures remaining a problem here temporarily. Uh, I do think that we've probably seen the peak in inflation. We'll probably start to see some inflationary subs uh, to subside here. But the reduction of monetary accommodation is going to start to impact stocks as we get into 2022. So again, there is certainly risk heading into next year. And economic growth is going to be a lot weaker than expected. The Fed expects 4% growth this next year. It's likely going to be closer to 3 maybe even 25 as we get into to the end of the year. And then, of course, once we get to 2023, we'll be back to that 2% growth trend in the economy. So, again, a lot of that liquidity stimulus that's been driving the market over the last year, everybody is now assuming that that is organic growth. 
And the problem is that it's not organic, that is still that, that is the remnant of all that liquidity, those trillions of dollars that we flooded into the economy, that's the remnants of that action. And now you've got higher wages and individuals have less income to spend. This is about to start reversing in the opposite direction. So we'll see compression in economic growth next year. Uh, people haven't realized it yet, but that's what's coming. And that's going to start to weigh on profit margins as well. But we're going to get into a lot more of that this morning, really kind of dissect what the Fed said yesterday um, and what this means for your markets, uh, what it means for your portfolios and how to position not only just in the end of the year, but how to position going into next year as well. So that's coming up on this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. So stick around, a lot of that coming up and more with Michael Leibowitz, CFA. Don't go away. I'll be, I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to this morning's show. Of course, uh, I'm Real Science Roberts. It is The Real Investment Show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Since your questions, comments, emails, of course, always happy to help you. We got lots of great questions lately, of course, um, particularly with the Fed now starting to talk about tapering faster. What does that mean? They're going to start raising interest rates sooner, and yet markets are rallying like uh, they just added another $120 billion worth of QE. So, uh, to talk a little bit more about that this morning, of course, uh, Michael Leibowitz, CFA, our, our resident Fed watcher. Mike, uh, so what was your initial takeaway from uh, the Fed's announcement yesterday? Because the market certainly liked it. Markets loved it. But this is what this continues on what we talked about last week with narratives, right? If you Monday and Tuesday, the market sold off and it was kind of volatile trading. And the, the, the thought in the, in the media was that, well, the market's scared that the Fed's going to be a little more hawkish than expected, right? Mm -hmm. So the Fed came out and they were a little more than a little more hawkish, right? They, they doubled the pace of tapering to 30 billion a month. They'll end that by March. And they're predicting that they're going to raise rates three times next year, three times in 23 and another time in 24. That was more than the markets are expecting. It's more than Fed funds were pricing, than uh, futures markets are pricing in. And the market took off, and it's taken off again this morning. Um, so, well, I, you know, me, again, let's back up, though, real quick, uh, because Fed fund futures were already predicting in three rate hikes for this year is almost a 90% certainty. 
And there's been lots of leaks in the media about them starting to, you know, speed up the taper process. I mean, Nick Timrose from the Wall Street Journal has been leaking that for the last several weeks. Right. So, you know, I, I see a lot of the headline media saying, oh, it was, it was more hawkish than expected. But really, when you take a look at what Fed fund futures were actually showing and what's been leaked in the media, it was pretty much right on the nose. Well, there's a nice segue to join our morning commentary. <laughs> if you sign up for our morning commentary, we have a graph that shows where the Fed funds expects Fed funds and where the markets expect Fed funds. And yeah. you can see there's a gap that widens as you move out late 23, late 22, 23. Yeah. And basically, look, the Fed was hawkish. Mm -hmm. Whether they were more hawkish or less hawkish, I don't think you could say they were less hawkish right. than expected. But they're certainly a lot more hawkish today than they were two months ago. Uh, interestingly, Lance, while you were on earlier, the Bank of England raised rates. But they did so while continuing QE. Mm -hmm. So watching you on Fox Business yesterday, that was something you mentioned, <laughs> right? That they should be that that it shouldn't necessarily be reducing QE to zero before you touch interest rates, right. that the two can be interchangeable. And you there's certainly a great case to be made for cutting rates first and cutting QE second. So at least someone else. Well, uh, at least, so at least the central like bank was stance, listening to but, me yesterday. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I heard this guy on Fox in the U.S. He's a genius. Let's do this. <laughs> right. But but Chairman Powell did say they're not going to touch rates until QE's done. Yeah, you know, I until thought they're it, done tapering. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting. You know, he talked about the fact that the employment situation was improving much more rapid than expected, and and also kind of, you know, touched on this idea that they're not going to you know really hike rates until they get to maximum employment. And you know, you're at 4.2 percent unemployment. You've got the lowest jobless claims since the 1960s, and you know, with a much you know with uh, the population is twice the size of what it was in the 1960s. So, you know, it's really hard to argue that you're not already at full employment and probably have already been at full employment for quite some time. We are at full employment. Just look at how many jobs are available. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, almost two jobs for every person that doesn't have a job. He keeps, you know, I mean, this is, look, this is the Fed playing games. This isn't reality. The jobs market has been pretty close to back to normal, if not better than normal, for the last four or five months. Inflation has been a problem now for about seven, eight, nine months. Why is this all of a sudden, why is inflation now like his biggest bugaboo and employment's perfectly fine right now? It's because he got the tap on the shoulder and, you know, presumably Biden said to him, look, you want to be renominated, you better get this inflation under control. And here we are, right? Two weeks after, three weeks after he gets renominated, the Fed does a U-turn and all of a sudden inflation matters. Right. We've been pointing this out in our articles for months, mm -hmm. right? That employment's back to normal or close enough back to normal and that inflation's a real problem. So, and look, we're not the only ones. This is, you know, pretty widely distributed throughout the media acknowledging what's been going on. But, you know, uh, you have to think that Powell is putting financial stability ahead of what the Fed's objectives are. And financial stability means nothing more than making sure the markets are stable. Right. doesn't mean that they're rising incredibly, but it means that they're not falling. Right. And it's you know, it's all markets. Well, I think I think this is also, you know, kind of interesting. You know, part of the narrative that came out yesterday was, you know, from a lot of kind of the media, you know, it's kind of spin from this is that, well, you know, the reason the markets are rallying is because the markets now believe that the Fed has inflation under control. 
the Fed's never had inflation under control. They 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 thought that inflation was going to be transient earlier this year, and now that probably at the point that we just saw the peak of inflation, and then we start getting we're going to start getting year over year comparisons going into next year that are going to reduce the rate of inflation just simply from the function of math. Um, it's you know they're now starting this type this uh, tightening campaign to fight inflation that they now think is persistent. So you know they've been on the wrong side of inflation, and now all of a sudden the Fed thinks uh, or the market thinks that they're on the right side of the of the inflation fight. Likely is going to turn out to be just the opposite. Right, and you know what? Someone one of the someone in the media asked them a great question. They say there's a lag time on your actions. So when you do something, it can take six or nine months before that actually happens. Sure. Given that it takes that long, why are you dragging your feet to stop QE, right? If inflation is a real problem and QE is the cause, and we're not saying it is, but that is the common thought, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you going to wait till March to finish QE? Shouldn't you stop it yesterday? Stop it today? Completely, right? right. And raise rates. And, so, and right. that's perfectly logical. But, you know, right. if but you do not. that, the market's going to be down, you know, 5,000 well, points. And that's how Chairman Powell <laughs> answered the question. He goes, we we also have to weigh financial stability with, and we don't want to shock markets and, mm. you know, the, the whole rigmarole that he always goes into where basically he's protecting markets. Sure. And that's, you know, I mean, I you know, why the market is up this much, don't know. Uh, but do. he's certainly shown that he's going to protect it. Well, I mean, you know, the reason the markets are up this much isn't isn't surprising, right? I mean, we know that 40% of the rally since 2011 came solely from stock buybacks, which has been right. fostered by low interest rates. And another good 20 to 30% of it has been the Fed's balance sheet. And then if you strip out and just look at straight valuations, the market's probably, you know, fairly valued right now, somewhere around between 1700 and 2000 which, you know, makes up all the differentials. So, you know, that's that's the the whole issue is that we know we know why the markets are here and we know why the markets are trading the way that they're trading. And uh, the net buyer of stocks since 2011 has been corporations buying back their own shares. And we keep expecting that somehow this is normal activity in markets and it's not anything normal at all. You know, price discovery is a big issue. Liquidity is a huge issue. We've talked about this before. But we act like these activities that are going on in the markets outside of just the the true fundamental nature of the market themselves are now a completely normal in terms of the way markets function, and they're not. But you know, right. we you know, as investors, we don't care about those things. We just care about if the market's going up or not. Right. And, and you what'd you say, forty percent mm -hmm. of the market of the gains are from buybacks? Right. So let's think about that, right? So first of all, the market's 40% overvalued because of buybacks, but money spent on buybacks is not spent investing in a company, whether it's a new pro you know, property or plant or uh, employee training or whatever it may be, some sort of innovation that helps their earnings. So not only is it propping stock prices, but it's, it's limiting the amount of earnings growth that you're actually buying. It's a double-edged sword that you know, as long as it works, as long as there's a buyer, as long as they can constantly come into the market and be the dinosaur romping around and buying enough to keep stock prices going up, it works. And look, I don't know what's going to change it, right? There's Congress seems to like it. They haven't fought against it. Uh, the Fed never talks about it. Um, so, you know, yeah. and maybe that's just what the market sees. 
The Fed is, yes, they're turning a little more hawkish, but they are very supportive of stock prices and the things that got stock prices to where they're at now. Yeah, and I think the one thing that uh, everybody's missing is if you take a look at the yield curve right now, um, that's already starting to flatten. But if you take a look at the forward yield curve, it's already inverted, um, right. which really suggests that the Fed is making a policy error. And typically that tends to turn out to be the case every time, going back historically. And you know the markets are ignoring that fact right now and, and of course the the kind of the media you know kind of role coming out of this in terms of you know explaining trying to explain what the markets are doing relative to the fed announcement is like oh the fed's got this under control it's fine uh they know what they're doing uh, they've got good you know they've got great control over this they're showing that they've got this all you know kind of in hand but the forward yield curve is already telling you that there's a policy mistake that's already been made and that it's likely going to get worse as we get further into next year. So a lot of these expectations for 4%, 5%, 6% economic growth next year are going to be disappointed. Earnings growth uh, rates are going to ha will come down rather sharply over the next 12 months. And that's really going to put valuations really in focus. We've already got a, a market that's that's trading near the peak of, of valuations that we saw in 2000. That's going to get worse if we see any type of degradation in earnings expectations going forward. Yeah, I mean, but I'd like to play devil's advocate. Who cares? Does it matter <laughs> as long as people keep buying? Well, it didn't right matter in 1999 either. It didn't, but maybe it's 1997 right now. It, it, it could I mean, be. this is... That's, this that's is the the look, that, look, that, fair enough. That's the argument, right? I've seen a lot of charts out lately. Oh, this is 1998. And what's great about these charts is they show you these overlays, right? The market now versus 1998. It's like, oh, it's 1998. Okay, great. We got another year till we get into 99, right? So you get another year of upside, but everybody forgets to tell you what happened after that. <laughs> and that's the big risk. We'll come back from the break, pick up with Michael Leibowitz. Uh, we'll talk about how to actually start thinking about positioning as we move into next year, because things are going to change as headwinds become tailwinds. And what should you be doing with your portfolio as you as you, we move into the end of the year? We'll talk about that next. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential Smart Money Tips for the New Year Candid Coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show, of course, as uh, we get ready to move into the end of the year. Of course, that is now the traditional Santa Claus rally that we've been talking about here over the last couple of weeks. Of course, uh, you know, we had been buying into are using the sell-off to add, actually add exposure to portfolios for this kind of end-of-the-year rally. 
But now we're starting to think about, okay, well, what happens when we get into 2022? Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to be going on next year that were tailwinds this year that will now become headwinds next year. So, you know, for instance, as we move into 2022, again, just as we were talking about a second ago with Mike, uh, the Fed policy is going to become a headwind versus a tailwind. So no longer zero interest rates, no longer $120 billion in QE a month. That is now going to be reversed. But also, as we move into next year, well, we had a lot of, of fiscal policy coming out of government. That, that was flooding the system with a lot of liquidity. Individuals had a lot of extra money to spend from expanded unemployment benefits to direct checks to households to kind of you name it, that has all been is coming out of the system. And yes, while we're seeing wages go up, those are primarily wages at the lower end of the income strata. So you're seeing, you know, 725 wages go to $10. That's not supportive for really strong economic growth going into next year. So again, a lot of that wage growth is happening at the bottom end, but even those that wage growth is being eaten up by inflation. So real wages are actually negative compared to where what's happening with inflation and the economy. And, and then also as we move into next year, we now have the midterm elections coming up. And while those that's a political dynamic, it does suggest that there's likely going to be more trouble for trying to pass big spending bills because a lot of the Democrats and Republicans will be positioning uh, for their re-election campaign, be focused more on that than passing bills. And importantly, with the deficit now pushing $30 trillion, there is, there is believe it or not, there is actually a concern by many Americans about the debt and the deficit that we have in the, in the country. And that certainly it doesn't bode well potentially for getting reelected. So there could be less fiscal support is the point. Uh, for the economy as well as we go in to further into 2022. So, as, and that's just a few of the headwinds. There's actually a lot more. You know, um, you know, as we talk about a lot of different things that's been happening in the markets, the economy, a lot of those things have been supportive uh, since the 2020 uh, pandemic shutdown. Year-over-year comparisons, as an example of economic growth, are going to get a lot tougher. A lot of the year-over-year comparisons for for a lot of the economic indicators will become a lot more uh, a lot more difficult because they had big surges and now the year-over-year comparisons are going to look a lot weaker. So again, all that economic support as well is going to become a headwind next year. So how do you position your portfolio for that? Um, got an interesting question yesterday talking about that. It's like, you know, a lot of the high flyer stocks, right? Uh, we saw a lot of meme stocks this year. We saw a lot of retail traders tra chasing non-profitable tech companies. Um, and again, we've kind of used ARC. Uh, the, the Kathy Woods ARK Investment Funds, uh, ARKK, that ETF is, is kind of a, a hodgepodge basket of all those kind of, of non-profitable tech companies that's going to be the next generation of, of winners in the markets. Those have really been under a lot of pressure this year. So are those stocks that you want to own going into next year because the, the top 10 stocks of the S&P are extremely overbought now? That's kind of the conversation here as we start thinking about, and again, not making any decisions today, but these are things that Mike and I are thinking about in terms of our portfolio as we start positioning going into next year. So is it value versus growth next year, or is it momentum versus value? That's going to be the kind of the, the question. So Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, and I think, you know, once the calendar turns to 2022 next year, there's another dynamic that kind of starts that that will at least affect the first few weeks. And that's everything that was sold for tax losses, mm -hmm. 
uh, for window dressing for a number of reasons that are more related to year end to quarter end than they are more uh, fundamentals or what investment what uh, investors are looking for may become in vogue, right? So look at AT&T, it's down what, 10, 12% this year. Mm -hmm. So you have AT&T in our portfolio with 12 other stocks that are all up a lot. You wanna take some gains, you can sell AT&T, take some losses, offset your gains and losses, and you know minimize your tax bill. Well, now we get to 2022, you, there was a reason you had AT&T, and I'm just using that as an example, there was a reason you had AT&T well, now, now you want to add it back and potentially, you know, sell some of some of the other stuff. So I think what we may see in the kind of first few weeks, a month of 2022, is some of these beating up names. And it, look, it's not just old stodgy communications companies. It's like uh, Lance was talking about some high flying tech companies. It's uh, the MLPs, for instance, have been beaten up versus where they should be trading. So think about things where there are tax losses, where people are going to be able to sell and have some losses to offset some pretty, pretty large gains this year. And that may be where we see some buying. Gold miners is another one. That may be where we see buying to start the year as as investors try to get their portfolios back to where they were, say, late November, early December. Right. And then, of course, uh, as we move further into the year, that's going to be, you know, yeah. So that that kind of gets us through the first five days of January. That's typically the <laughs> that kind of initial what we see in, in the you know, that portfolio rebalancing for the year. Um, but then as we get into the rest of the year, the question becomes really, again, the the stronger dynamics of, right. of these headwinds. They're going to weigh on potential growth for these companies. Again, a lot of these uh, tech companies that had huge runs this year uh, again they're non-profitable tech companies right and so they don't make money um and in a lot of cases we've seen a lot of companies go public this year that you know we saw a company just go public recently had a billion dollar market cap with thirty five thousand dollars of annual sales so that's a lot of the insanity that we saw this year because of the retail trading front that's probably going to start to change next year as we get into uh, an environment where there's less liquidity Right. And we look, I actually wrote about it two weeks ago, an investment playbook for the next crash. And look, I'm not saying the next crash is coming in February or two years from now or whenever. But if you go back and look at 1999 and we talk, it seems like every Thursday we talk about some similarity, right, between now and 1999 and investment behaviors and valuations, just the way the market trades up on bad news, whatever it is. There's a lot of similarity. So if you go back and look, value was trading awful in the 97, 98, 99 value stocks, those that are actually cheap. And at the same time, you had these new Internet companies and no one really understood the power of the Internet that were going to be the next greatest companies ever that have long since ceased to exist. But we're trading at massive valuations and pushing the market, especially the Nasdaq, higher and higher. So, you know, you can kind of look at 19, the late 90s as a potential uh, analog to what's going to happen. And look, there is some deep value, some, not a ton, but there is some deep value out there. And maybe 2022, with all these headwinds coming at us with margin, corporate margins is another one that you didn't mention, Lance, that, that will almost inevitably have to shrink uh, this year maybe value will be the place to be. And we've seen 
we've seen kind of there are days where the market's trading lower and value stocks have traded higher. So maybe that's just the first inkling that that we're getting that that we're making a slow rotation to value. And that's, you know, we keep a close eye on value versus growth and uh, what what has the potential, right? It doesn't mean buy it today, buy it tomorrow, but keep an eye on value stocks and what they're doing and how they're doing versus the market for signs. And, you know, put together a shopping list. Doesn't mean you have to buy them today, but just put together a shopping list of companies that when the time comes, and, and you know, you're probably gonna have to wait to 2022, but when the time when the time comes, start slowly adding them to a portfolio and making the portfolio a little more conservative, a little more quote unquote crash friendly. Yeah, and that's and that's you know, it's been one of the big challenges for value. Value it has very brief moments of outperformance and we, we see it momentarily for a month or two and then it's like buy value, buy value, and then never mind, buy Apple and Microsoft. <laughs> you know, and it's been these very quick rotations and, and this has really been one of the problems over the last couple of years that that value story has really just been suppressed given the the desire to own growth and you know the philosophy is simply is like oh we need to own companies that can create growth in this type of environment right this uh, economic recovery environment but a lot of that story really doesn't hold up to the facts this has just been a re really just a momentum chase in markets uh, we've got you know uh, people trading on Robinhood apps and we've got algorithms chasing momentum and they're all kind of feeding off of each other so you know, the problem for the value story has been just a sustainability of that. You know, we, we keep kind of hoping for this return to value where, you know, you and I as fundamental investors can go back to actually buying value for a change. It'd be so much nicer, um, but it just hasn't been a profitable trade. So that's one of the challenges for investors is, is trying to determine when to buy value and how to hold on to it long enough to allow it to work. Right. And, and look, you may buy some value in January or February and it may not work. And you have to have some rules in place, some some stop losses, uh, technical levels that you say, you know what, if it gets here, I'm getting out. I may love the company, but I'm getting out and have those in place. And then, you know, come June, you may buy them again. Yep. And it may, you know, may not be you're not going to just buy one or two of these companies and they're going to go up 20 percent a year while the market if the market goes down. It's not the way it's going to work. You're most likely going to buy it too early. You're going to have some losses. You're going to have to decide whether you want to sit on those losses or sell it and come back another day and buy it. Yeah. And, and it's difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we actually have a video on our website right now talking about how to set stop limits. Uh, we talked about that yesterday in our three minutes of markets of money. It's on our website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. 
Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. the show of course as we uh get ready to uh wrap up today's edition man it's already thursday already flying by uh michael lee was joining me this morning so one of the headwinds that we haven't talked about yet is the u.s dollar and uh that's one thing that's you know potentially uh going to become problematic as well you know uh, the, the weak dollar has been a real benefit you know previously especially to you know oil companies and commodity stocks etc um, now we really have had this strengthening of the U.S. dollar. And again, this is, you know, as if, if the economy does have a lot stronger economic growth next year, as expect, you know, as the economists expect, uh, that's going to attract more and more dollars into the U.S. Uh, Michael Leibowitz just recently wrote an article on our website talking about the strength of the dollar. But that's also another one of these uh, challenges that we'll deal with in 2022 that we have to compensate for within portfolio strategies as well as into what stocks we own. Are those stocks that you're buying, are they impacted or benefited from a stronger dollar, right? So that's, that's one of the things. So, you know, and if you're thinking about emerging markets and international markets and, and how are they impacted by a stronger dollar relative to their economies, because, uh, again, if they're buying commodities, they're buying those commodities in U.S. dollars. If they're buying goods from the U.S., they're buying those goods uh, in terms, you know, uh, the, the exchange rate obviously is making things more expensive for them. So, uh, you know, how does that dollar impact it? Mike, uh, you kind of wrote an article about this. What was the thesis? What was the premise? And what was the conclusion? <laughs> so the point was that dollar appreciation is a big problem for the rest of the world, not necessarily for us. In, in the United States, if I go take out a mortgage or a car loan at 5%, that's actually, that's a very high rate, but if a 5%, whether the dollar goes up or down or sideways, I don't really care. doesn't affect my loan. But the rest of the world, it really can matter a lot. The rest of the world uses dollars. And in the article, I talk, I kind of create a fictitious uh, Canadian tire company, and they have to buy rubber from the Philippines. Well, the Philippines don't want Canadian dollars and the Canadian dollars don't want Philippine dollar, Philippine, what are they, ringgits? Yep. Uh, so, so they use U.S. dollars. And that's the way almost 70% of world trade works in dollars. The problem is the Canadian company buying the rubber from the Philippines is selling Canadian tires in Canada in Canadian dollars. So the risk them is that they're borrowing in U.S. dollars, they're buying the rubber, and they have to pay back the principal and interest in U.S. dollars. Well, if the Canadian dollar depreciates, the U.S. dollar appreciates, they have to come up with more Canadian dollars to pay off the loan than they originally thought. So if I borrow in the U.S., if I borrow 100000 today for five years, five years from now, I know what I have to come up with. It's 100000 for our Canadian tire company, if the dollar appreciates 10% and I borrow 100,000, I have to come up with 110,000. So all of a sudden, my effective interest rate rose, effective, not actual interest rate, rose by 10%. That also holds true for every coupon payment. Again, this assumes they're not hedged. Some of them are hedged, some of them don't hedge. Uh, so what what's going on is, as the Fed is getting a little more hawkish as we're talking about raising rates. 
with global growth and with uh, growth in the U.S. stronger than most of the world, with inflation running a little bit hotter than the rest of the world, the dollar has been appreciating against just about every currency except China's. So it's putting all those companies in you know precarious positions. It's basically the Fed is indirectly via the dollar, or we can say the dollar is raising rates for companies around the world. Now, the largest companies are most likely hedging their debt, but smaller companies, some are, some aren't. So, so as the dollar keeps going up, these, you know, this Canadian company has to cover their, cover themselves, make sure that they don't get killed. If the dollar keeps appreciating, they have to hedge by buying dollars. And you can see how this becomes a little circular. Well, they bought dollars, the dollar appreciates more and now forces some other company to buy dollars. And if things get panicked, and we saw this in 2000, the dollar shot higher because everyone needed dollars to, to pay down their debt or to hedge their debt. Um, and then the Fed did what they did and they just threw liquidity at the market and the dollar dropped like a rock. But, but we don't think about the dollar in the United States often, right? We know that a, a weaker dollar means that imports are a little more expensive and vice versa, and it affects trade to some degree, but it doesn't affect our daily lives. You know, how we borrow, what we borrow, how much, all that. For foreign countries, foreign, both countries and companies, it can have a big effect. And we're starting to see that a little bit, and that's economic growth. The higher dollar will slow down economic growth. So regardless of whether, uh, you know, a U.S. company is borrowing in anything, it doesn't matter. U.S. global growth is a big component of U.S. economic growth. And that's just another headwind, assuming the dollar appreciates that we're going to have to deal with. And kind of what, what is the expectation, in, in your opinion, do you think the dollar will continue to get stronger because, you know, we do have these kind of stronger rates of economic growth here? Or is it the fact that, you know, we may see a reduction in support for the dollar in terms of, you know, less buying, you know, less activity from the Fed, uh, higher interest rates, that's potentially going to uh, weaken economic growth, and that should weaken the dollar. So kind of what's the prediction here moving into the rest well, of this year? So so you have those factors, but you also have Joe Biden and the Democrats want to retain their seats, mm -hmm. right? And inflation is probably the number one threat for the Democrats to lose Congress, I would guess, at this point, right? Mm -hmm. if, if inflation's running 7 8% next year in November, they're going to lose the House and Senate. I have very little doubt, right? Right. So what did he do? He tapped uh, Powell. We talked about this earlier. He taps Powell on the shoulder. You're getting renominated, but you better deal with this now, right? Mm -hmm. The only other real tool he has is the dollar itself, right? And we know that countries manipulate their own currencies. This is done in a public. This right. isn't. This isn't just a rumor or guess. Oh no, right? no. This is this. We've talked about this on the show before. But you know, U.S. has been manipulating their own current, our own currency since the 1910s, right? So, right. you know, this is no deep secret that current that. And again, it's it's you know exactly what you would expect. It's not some conspiracy theory or anything else that's happening. We call we call China a currency manipulator. Every country manipulates their currency to make sure you maintain some type of economic balance between your currency and other currencies to create, you know, economically efficient trade. Right. Right. So if I'm Biden, I'd say, hey, Janet, I already tapped Powell on the shoulder. Now I'm tapping you on the shoulder. I want the dollar appreciating 
because that way all the imports that come into this country become a little bit cheaper. And we are, look, we're, we're a huge importer, right? We're, we run a trade deficit, a severe trade deficit. So you can have an effect on all those goods coming into this country as well. So I think the dollar will appreciate in a very orderly way, but I think we'll continue to see it appreciate, which will have, you know, it does affect certain companies a lot more than others uh, for the reasons that we mentioned, but it also affects them, especially commodity companies, because their goods are all traded around the world in dollars. So, you know, it's not a stronger dollar is not necessarily good for commodities, energy included. Right. But there but there are a lot of other factors. So, you know, just because the dollar appreciates doesn't mean the price of oil can't go up further. Right. Exactly. All right. So uh, anyway, that kind of gets us to the kind of the end point of the show this morning. And uh, really, you know, as you kind of look at the markets right now, again, markets are kind of pointing higher. Uh, this morning, Dow's up about 300 points. The S&P is going to be up well over 30 points this morning. And, and again, this is kind of all you know, when you kind of look at, you know, where money's going to be flowing this morning. It's going to be back into those stocks that have been the most beaten up lately. So, again, as you saw yesterday, a big recovery in Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, up 7 percent, et cetera. Uh, we're probably going to see a lot of those continued flows back into those stocks that have been sold off the most. As, and again, we go back to what Mike was talking about earlier. You know, these mutual funds have made a lot of have done a lot of selling uh, for either tax loss or for distributions, either one. So but if you take a look at cash holdings on mutual funds right now, those are at very elevated levels. So that cash has to get put back to work before the end of the year um, under their mandates for most mutual funds. They can't hold more than about five percent cash on average. So the, if they have any excess levels of cash, they have to put it to work before year end reporting. So. You know, expect to see this kind of, you know, pushback into individual stocks, uh, you know, in, in some of those areas and beaten up the most. Um, oil stocks should be up today because we're starting to see a, a kind of a rebound in oil. Not surprising. Uh, we'll kind of be watching interest rates here as well. I guess that's really kind of one of the, the, the other real quick questions here as we get ready to think about next year is the direction and trend of interest rates, right? Uh, despite the fact that the Fed's hiking interest rates, despite the fact that we've had all this money flow into the economy, despite the fact we've had good economic growth this year, interest rates remain at 1.4% on the 10-year Treasury. So you're still looking at, very, you know, interest rates have not been predicting a strong economic environment going forward. It's really been t talking a lot more about potentially deflationary pressures in the future. And, and the yield curve tells us a lot of the same thing. So, you know, again, as we start moving into the last two weeks of this year and getting ready to go into next year, a lot of the focus that we need to start thinking about is not just what we're doing with our portfolio now, but how we're positioning potentially for those headwinds that we'll be challenged with as we move into next year as well. Mike and I will both be talking about this more. We'll be writing about it on the website. So make sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. And while you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. Check out our new SimpleVisor uh, uh, application. It's all on the website now. Help you manage your money better. It's all there to give you the right advice that you need right now. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
It's a rich man's world.